Sessions. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Sound on Sound podcast, brought to you by the SOS editorial team. I'm Chris Mayswright, Sound on Sound news editor. Coming up, we've got news of the latest new gear that will be hitting the shelves in coming months with comments from SOS Editor-in-Chief Paul White Hello and Technical Editor Hugh Robjohns Hello who will also be answering some of your questions. In the June issue, Sound on Sound contributor Mike Senior will be telling us a bit about his feature article on recording kick and snare. Also, Paul Nagel, another SOS regular, will be giving us an insight into a downright bizarre tube-based product that he's reviewed for the July issue. We'll also report back from the official UK launch of the Arturia Origin, a product that's been in development for some time now. But first, here's a roundup of the news. Antares have upgraded their Avox vocal processing bundle, adding five new plugins, including the acclaimed Harmony engine. The price for the new bundle has been dropped, bringing it to £350 in the UK and $600 in the US, despite the added content. Visit antarestech.com for more. A new version of the Brauner Fanthera condenser microphone has been announced. The Fanthera V has variable polar patterns instead of the fixed cardioid arrangement of the original model. Check out BraunerMicrophones.de for further information. UK-based TCM Mastering have launched a new online venture that enables clients to submit their tracks for mastering using web-based file transfer. The service costs £25 per track, that's about $50 in the US, and is all dealt with through tcmmastering.com. French monitor manufacturer Focal have unveiled a new range of active near-field monitors for the home and project studio market. Models in the CMS series are made to the same standards as Focal's respected Hi-Fi products, but are priced to compete with monitors from the likes of Mackie and Genelec. Visit focalprofessional.com for more. Finally, Fatar have launched a new master controller keyboard in their Studio Logic range. The Numa is designed to be as piano-like as possible with 88 solid hammer action keys and a graded keyboard which gets lighter as you play further up the instrument. There's a full review of the Numa in the June issue of Sound on Sound, which is in the shops now. For up-to-date news, visit the SOS news pages at soundonsound.com forward slash news, where you can sign up to our RSS feed. If you're listening to the Enhanced podcast on a computer, simply click on the link on the bottom of your screen now. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. You may have heard about the Sound Recording Technology Show, which Sound on Sound are sponsoring. It's taking place in London in the middle of June, and here's Hugh to tell you a bit more. SRT is part of the London International Music Show, which also includes Drummer Live, the London Guitar Show, and Unplugged. It's happening on the 12th, 13th, 14th and 15th of June and it's the first time that all four shows have been held together under one roof. Essentially it's the UK version of Music Mesa in Frankfurt which is the biggest European music show of the year. There are three public days and one trade day which will be held on Thursday the 12th. Your ticket to SRT allows entry to all the shows at Limbs uh, so you can stroll through the guitar halls, try out the latest drum gear and leaf through the thousands of copies of sheet music that will be on display in the Unplugged show. But perhaps most importantly of all, Sound on Sound will be giving away a massive bundle of gear in our Dream Studio prize draw. We've got over £20,000 worth of equipment up for grabs, and it will all go out to one lucky winner. You can see the full listing of prizes at soundonsound.com forward slash news. Remember, you can only enter at the show, so you better book your tickets now. To buy your tickets, head to the LIMS website, www.londoninternationalmusicshow.com. You'll also find details of the other shows which are going on under the umbrella of the International Music Show. Sound on 
Don't forget, if you're a newcomer to Sound on Sound, to check out the SOS.com website because we have some fantastic forums there, lots of news and articles going back for many, many years. It's a great free resource and only the most recent material is subscriber only. Sound advice. Chris spotted this particular Q&A section in the SOS forum and thought it would be an interesting one to look at here. Yeah, it's uh, posted by James Kemp. Uh, he asks, how can I stop my cymbals from sounding too tinny? I only mic them with overhead microphones so they are present with everything, but they just don't sound too great. Any ideas? Could be a range of things. Uh, the first one to start with, I think, is probably the quality of the cymbal itself. Um, I mean, some cymbals do sound rather more clangy and metallic than others, so that's, that's the first thing to check. How does it sound in the, real, in the room itself? How does the real thing sound? That's true. Also, um, depends how close the mic is to the cymbals. If you get a mic too close to a cymbal, it starts to sound rather gongy and the mid-range frequencies are overemphasized. where if you get the mic about a metre above the overheads and possibly put something absorbent above that to stop the ceiling reflections getting in, you get a much more open kind of sound. You should also be using condenser mics, something with a decent high-end response, because if you use cheap and nasty microphones or, or your rock and roll dynamic vocal mics, you're going to lose all that air around the top end, which is exactly what you're trying to capture. Yeah. The other thing to be careful of is a mic with too much vocal presence. If it's got a big peak in the sort of 6, 7, 8K area, that'll tend to make it sound harsh as well. What you really want is something that's very flat or has a, a lift right at the high end. That's a very good point. You can also EQ the sound a little bit once you've recorded it, but try to get it right at source if you can, and then your EQ challenges won't be as great. Um, you, you could suck out a little of the sort of 2 to 4 kilohertz region, which will stop it sounding harsh. Um, maybe boost up at around the 10k to 12k zone to give you a little bit of air around the top. But don't go too far with it. Remember that everything has to sit together in the mix and there's always this temptation to make everything sound bright and sparkly. We all fall into this trap. And the result is that the whole mix starts to sound messy because everything's trying to get to the front. You're a drummer. Any ideas? Well, I'd, I'd only say don't put them too low um, and perhaps check your tom mics to make sure that they're not um, picking up spill from the cymbals because you can probably get that horrible clangy sound from tom mics yes although normally you'll be using directional cardioids on the on the toms and the snare and if they're reasonably close which which they normally are the amount of spill that they pick up from the cymbals is actually pretty small sound advice next how do you prevent spill from a vocalist headphones getting into the vocal mic that's from pete from gloucester i suppose use phones with decent isolation uh, typically um, enclosed headphones I mean, everyone used to use the old Bear DT-100s at one time, which weren't the best-sounding headphone on the market, but they had good isolation. These days, there's a lot more choice. Uh, the problem arises when you get a singer who likes to sing with one phone off, and then they, sometimes, if you're not watching, they'll turn it around so it's facing outwards, and that does cause a lot of spill. If they like having a phone off and you can't switch off half of the signal, then make sure that they clamp it firmly against the side of their head just to keep the sound out of the mic. Yeah, I think it's a useful thing to have, actually, is a bodge cable that isolates one side of the headphones. You can just plug it in, and that way, if the headphone itself doesn't have a switch on to turn off one side, some of them do, um, then you can just kill it that way. That sounds like a good idea. So how would that work, Hugh? Well, the cable is a screen with, which carries the earth for both sides, and then a wire for the left channel and a wire for the right channel. And all you do is just don't connect up one of the wires. So, you know, you connect the tip of each end uh, through, and you connect the screen through, but you don't bother connecting the ring contact, and that way the right-hand channel will always be quiet. Could you wire in a switch somewhere? 
yeah, you could if you want to go that far, but usually it's just a little short adapter and you plug it in and it just kills one side. The thing to do is just make sure you don't use those nice open headphones that you use for mixing because I know a lot of people can't afford lots of different headphones, but you should really have one closed pair for tracking and an open pair for making mixed decisions if you can. Yeah, definitely. Sound advice. Okay, Joseph from Basingstoke has a pair of PA speakers. He wants to know whether he can use them for mixing. Well, I'd say under normal circumstances not, because they don't have a particularly flat frequency response and they probably don't have uh, very well-controlled dispersion compared to studio monitors. But if he's producing dance music, he could well use them as a secondary reference, because quite often you need to know that your music's going to sound good played over a PA kind of system as well as over studio monitors. But he does need to get some proper studio monitors first, make sure the mix sounds okay there, and then take the mix out and try it over the PA system ideally set up in a venue with the sub if he has one and just see that it works there too I'd agree the other problem with with PA speakers is they're designed to be very efficient rather than very linear um, so you'll find it it's hard to listen to some of the inner detail of a mix on PA speakers Sound advice. there was a thread on the forum recently uh, where people were discussing the benefits or not of either mixing in the box or using an outboard mix bus kind of device what are your thoughts on that now Paul it certainly makes a difference. Uh, I don't know why this is, but putting a digital mix through any good piece of analog gear tends to add a certain something to it. I'm not saying it makes it more accurate, but it makes it more musically pleasing, and after all, that tends to be what we're after. Sometimes you can get the same result by putting your in-the-box mix through a really nice stereo tube compressor or something like that. It just seems to glue all the sounds together and, and kind of fill in the details somehow. It's, it's quite hard to explain, but once you've heard it, you really know that there is a difference. Um, why it happens, I, I, I don't know, because technically speaking, the in-the-box mixes should be fine. Yeah, assuming you, you mix with sensible headroom levels, I think that's probably the case, but there is something nice about proper analogue circuitry that just seems to add a quality that seems to help. I don't understand it. I mean, I found myself that mixing um, in the box but taking the stereo out and passing it through just a good stereo preamp or something will make a huge difference. Yes, and as you say, it seems to make a difference. We can't say it's better. We can only say that it's different. But if our ears perceive it as more musical, then that's fine. It doesn't matter if, if a piece of test equipment says that in some way this audio has been compromised. Um, the, the subjective experience of listening to these things always makes it sound better. So whether you need to go as far as buying an external mixer is probably something you ought to try out first. You know, borrow your friend's Mackie or whatever. It doesn't have to be anything really expensive. Just um, plug in as many outputs as you've got from your door and do a mix there and then compare that with the in-the-box mix and a mix just through a two-channel device. I think you'll be surprised how close the two-channel device comes to that of the external analog mixer. Sound advice. If you want to be involved in similar discussions, check out the Sound on Sound forum at soundonsound.com forward slash forum. If you're an enhanced podcast listener, click on the link on the bottom of the screen now. Otherwise, send your questions to soundadvice at soundonsound.com. The cover feature in the June issue of Sound on Sound is all about recording kick and snare drums. Here's Sound on Sound contributor and podcast favourite Mike Senior to tell you a bit more about it. Features. Having spent ages researching how nearly 50 top producers record snare and kick drum, surely I could have just said, look, these guys have sold hundreds of millions of records between them. Do yourself a favour and try some of this stuff out. It would have been job done, no reason to leave the comfy chair. But I couldn't let it go, could I? I had to start doing audio examples. I'm thinking nothing complicated, just a simple little shootout of their favourite snare drum mics. Maybe a few different snare drums. 
and I better sling up some overheads and a kick drum mic as well, just to put it all in context. Great, cool. I suppose I better do the same for kick drum mics though as well. What can I say? It just snowballed. Half a dozen 57s around the snare, five D112s inside the kick, as well as a bunch of other mics outside on both sides of the drum. Kick drum resonant head on, and then off, and then on again, but with a hole in it. A PA, a rifle mic, two different six foot drum tunnels. It was madness. Still, let's look at the bright side. Now, if you surf over to the SOS website, you'll be able to compare 150 audio files of techniques from some of the biggest names in the business without carting 28 classic mics into a studio and recording the same drummer repeatedly for two whole days. Believe me, it's much easier that way. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. Thank you, Mike. So that feature is in the June issue, which you can get your hands on now. In the July issue, which is out mid-June, Paul Nagel reviews the Metasonics S1000, a rather intriguing rack mount synth. Here he is to tell you a bit more. On test. What you're hearing now is the Metasonics S1000, also known as the Wretch Machine. With its glowing vacuum tubes and numerous quirky features, this is not your standard synth. Find out more in the July issue of Sound on Sound, available in the shops mid-June. In the meantime, here's a little taster. In early May, Arturia held the UK launch of their Origin synthesizer at the Digital Village store in Clapham. We sent Chris to check it out, and this is what he found. Okay, I'm here with Brian Borchers from Arbiter. Brian, what's Origin all about? Well, Origin is by Arturia. It's their first hardware synthesizer. Um, obviously, Arturia have a good and long history in the software synthesizer market. Um, they've decided to go hardware this time. So really, what origin is um, it's a dsp based hardware synthesizer that includes all the modules from the software version so on there you will find for example the mini moog moog modular cs80 arp profit uh, jupiter 8 and anything else that is yet to come um, i think really the interesting point about the origin is that it is fully modular so for example you can take an oscillator from the mini moog and the oscillator from a Jupiter 8, run it through the filter, se uh, filter section of, you know, perhaps the CS80, add effects from, you know, whichever of the, the software version that you've got, and, um, you know, quite, do quite a few crazy things on top of that. So you can create your dream synthesizer in effect? You pretty much can, and, um, you know, I think that really is its biggest selling point, is that you can take sounds and sources from, you know, any dream synth that you could ever have imagined and mix and mash them up together to, to literally create sounds that you haven't heard before. Fabulous. When will it be shipping? Uh, it's going to be shipping in a few weeks. Uh, it should be out in the UK the first week of June. And um, yeah, we expect it to do very, very well because it's an exciting product. Fantastic. Thanks, Brian. This is the Sound on Sound podcast. That's it for episode four of the SOS podcast. 
Don't forget to pick up the June issue of the magazine or visit soundonsound.com where you can get the same editorial content that's in the mag. Also, if you're in the UK on the 13th, 14th and 15th of June, make sure you get down to the SOS-sponsored SRT show in London. In next month's magazine, we kick off a two-part reverb expose and hear the story behind the making of Devo's hit single, Whip It. Also, we've got a feature on production deals where we explain the legal agreements you need to ensure you get paid and look at how you can turn your independence to your advantage by developing artists outside the record company system. See you next time on the Sound on Sound podcast. Thank you.